Greetings in Christ Jesus, and welcome once again to the Twin Steeples Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Joe Nauman. Twin Steeples is a production of Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church here in Mankato, Minnesota, whose main goals are to share God's saving word and to communicate the ongoing activity in Christ's kingdom here at Emmanuel. Today I'd like to begin our podcast with a brief devotion based on Psalm 15. Psalm 15 was the psalm of the day for our uh, Read the Bible in 2022 yesterday. Uh, that would have been January 25th. And it really struck me as I read through it exactly who the psalmist is talking about here. So let's read through it together and then I'll have some brief comments following that. A Psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, does not take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his own money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So the psalm starts off with a question, really two questions, which are kind of the same question. He says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Remember the children of Israel, especially during the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were sojourners. They were nomads who would travel around with their herds and go from place to place. And even as as the children of Israel came out of Egypt with the tabernacle, uh, which was the tent of God, the, the tent dwelling place of God, where he dwelt among the people and where worship took place, uh, they were a people dwelling in tents until God finally gave them the land of Canaan for their dwelling place. So who shall sojourn in the Lord's tent? And then the second part, who shall dwell on your holy hill? A reference to uh, uh, the capital there at Jerusalem, the holy hill of the Lord, where eventually the, the temple would be built by David's son Solomon. So who shall travel with God? Who shall dwell with God? And if really if we expand the thought, who, will, who shall spend eternity with the Lord? How can we approach God? And this was really one of the biggest questions of the Old Testament, is how can we, sinful human beings that we are, approach a holy God? Well, the answer to that question is that we need to be holy. God told the children of Israel, Be thou holy, as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Uh, that's why there were so many rituals in the Old Testament, how one could become uh, go from being unclean to clean. So there are lots of things such as touching of a dead body or touching of certain animals that would make you unclean and would make it so you were unable to approach the holy God. So you need to go through certain rituals in order to become clean. Or uh, the priests, in order to go into the holy place, first they would need to offer a sacrifice for their own sins before they could, they could then go and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so the idea was, in order to go and be before God, to sojourn in his tent, in order to dwell in his holy hill, you needed to be perfect. And that's what we see in the rest of this psalm uh, that David explains here. So you need to walk blamelessly and do what is right. You need to speak truth in his heart. You can't be lying to yourself internally or externally. You need to do what is right before others, and you also need to do what is right in your own heart. Uh, who someone who does not slander with his tongue or speak evil against his neighbor, uh, doesn't treats others as he would like to be treated. Um, someone who uh, it says whose eyes a vile person is despised. So someone who looks at evil as evil. Someone who sees the wickedness of the world and recognizes that it is vileness. It is evil. 
uh, someone who honors the fear of the Lord, uh, who does not change, who does not take advantage of the interest of, of the innocent or or charge uh, interest of others. All these all these concepts of perfection, of being perfect. So really, who who deserves to sojourn in the Lord's tent? Who deserves to to dwell in His holy hill? I think if we examine this, each one of us can can easily recognize that none of us, no human being, deserves to dwell with the Lord, to sojourn on his holy hill. And then it finally says, he who does these things shall never be moved. So we're in trouble then. So who is the one who can sojourn with the Lord and dwell in his tent? And this is the neat thing about this psalm, is that this psalm was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, wasn't it? Jesus Christ, whom as John the Apostle writes in his gospel, from whom came all grace and truth, who came from the Father, who made the Father known to us because he dwelt with the Father. So Jesus, who was all these things, who was blameless and perfect and spoke the truth and did not slander and did no evil and took up no reproach, who called evil uh, evil and who looked at wickedness and called it wickedness, Uh, who feared the Lord perfectly because Jesus did that. Now, as he credits us with his righteousness, as he takes away our sins through his death on the cross, now God does see us as all these things. Now God sees you and I, the sinner, as saints who have perfectly kept God's law, who fulfilled verses 2 through 5 of our text today. And because of that, now we do dwell with the Lord. Now we, in the New Testament, uh, uh, have access to the Father direct access as we pray our Father who art in heaven. And the wonderful promise there at the end of verse 5 applies to us as well. He who does these things shall never be moved. We shall not be moved. The faith that God has given to us is sure and certain and something we can be absolutely confident in. So let us pray. Lord God, we thank and bless you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who uh, came from you, who dwelt with you, and then came to dwell with us. He was our Emmanuel God with us. And because of that, now we are seen as perfect and righteous in your eyes. Because of his perfect life, you now see our lives as perfect. Because of his innocent death, you now have see our sins uh, as wiped away, as completely removed from us. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful gift. Use this wonderful truth to motivate us throughout our earthly lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. A number of announcements, uh, reminders I'd like to highlight for you. This evening our online Bible class continues. We're chugging through the book of Mark. We are currently on Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Uh, also, uh, in our weekend Bible classes... Uh, last week we went through a, the CBP overview of the cooperative budget plan and all the work that we do as a synod. This coming week we're going to be looking at a report from the CLC Board of Doctrine and the Joint Committee representatives on the ter- church fellowship and its termination. So basically last week, last summer at convention, the CLC declined to adopt the joint statement that was put forward by representatives from the CLC Wells and Ells. Um, and what the what the CLC convention did was they asked the Board of Doctrine of the CLC and also the Joint Committee, so those men who were represented us to the Wells and Ells, to get together and to do two things. Number one, to make sure that we were all in the CLC on the same page on the Doctrine of the Termination of Church Fellowship, and then also to express uh, clearly for us and for the Wells and Ells what would be necessary for us to come to uh, an agreement on the doctrine of the termination of church fellowship. Um, So the report has been put forward uh, by these groups. Um, They have asked uh, the churches and congregations and pastors to review it and to bring feedback to them. So that's what we're going to start doing this weekend in Bible class. We'll be reading through it and commenting as we go, taking notes and passing that along to, uh, to, to others as it is needed. 
Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, there are some copies in the entryway. And also uh, I can uh, send you a copy of that draft as well. So keep in mind it is a draft. They're looking for feedback. Um, that report will then be finalized by the Coordinating Council of the CLC in April and brought to the CLC convention this summer, the summer of 2022. Uh, at our annual voters meeting on Monday, uh, our annual report was finalized. So thank you to Mrs. Hillary Leon for all her work on that uh, report. Uh, 2022 budget was approved. Um, that budget included a 4% raise in base salary and hourly wage uh, starting J July 1st, a 4% raise in tuition starting for the 2022-2023 school year for our tuition for uh, sending your children to school here. Uh, there was a surplus of $28,000, uh, 28700 some dollars. Uh, in the last fiscal year, 2021. Um, so that surplus was divided between the major improvement fund and the undesignated reserves. Also, our coordinating budget plan for uh, the coming year, uh, we made an estimate of $47,530. So that's basically what we are, what we are uh, telling the CLC at large what we are planning to send them. Uh, obviously, if we go under, we send them what we got, and if we go over, we send them what we got. So that's our, our budget, so we're trying to help them with their budget. Our Read the Bible in 2022 plan has been going along swimmingly. Hopefully, you've been able to keep up with that. Um, if not, I'd encourage you to restart here in the coming week or so. Uh, we are beginning an online component uh, in the month of February to this. Uh, it should make it pretty easy for you if you simply go onto our website. You'll be able to, on our homepage, go right to the Read the Bible section. Uh, there will be links that you can click and simply get the section of the day uh, right there on your computer or on your cell phone. Uh, also, we are planning on having a discussion board available for our members to be able to uh, build each other up in God's word. Maybe you can ask a question if you're not sure about something or if you uh, have a comment on something. So please uh, plan on uh, checking that out. Uh, again, that'll be launched uh, beginning of the month of February. Finally, I want to highlight for you too, the Outreach Committee is looking for more ideas and more members. Last month, in the month of January, we had four people attending our Outreach Committee meeting, and two of them were myself and Pastor Radical, so half of it was the pastor. So if uh, the Outreach Committee is something that your heart and mind uh, is, is attuned to and something that you want to give your time to, we hope you'll join us next Tuesday, February 1st at 7 p.m. here at uh, Emmanuel. Uh, we're planning on having a meeting open to anyone and everyone who's welcome to come with ideas or if you want to be a member of the outreach committee we encourage you to especially come in that case our prayer list for today uh once again we keep young arthur higher a young relative of the schmidt family he's three years old uh, a five pound tumor was found in his abdomen he underwent surgery and is currently undergoing chemotherapy in rochester uh, things have not been looking uh, positive in terms of the chemotherapy being effective to kill the cancer. Uh, we pray for this young man and this young family for all they're going through. Uh, we don't know why the Lord allows these awful tragedies to happen, especially for young children, but we know that he will work this for good and we pray that the Lord would bless them as they go through this time and allow them to grow closer and closer to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our doctrine today, and the doctrine I thought might be a fun one to throw around a little bit today is the doctrine on the marriage of the clergy and whether or not uh, clergy should be married. Uh, this is a topic that has been a source of great contention among members within the visible church here on earth for hundreds of years, and it continues to be a hot topic in our time as well. 
as can be seen in the recent and widely publicized cases of sexual misconduct of priests in the Catholic Church. Because there is some false information that is propagated by both sides on this issue, we consider the history of celibacy, the purpose of this article, and the words of Scripture related to this subject in their context. So throughout the history of the church, there were many attempts to make celibacy of the clergy mandatory. Even at the Council of Nicaea already in 325 AD, we find a proposal to mandate clerical celibacy, including those clergy who were already married. Now, while this was rejected by the Council of Nicaea in 325, the movement toward clerical celibacy continued. During the following century, several popes decreed celibacy. Damascus I did so in 384. Sericius did so in 385. Innocent I did so in 404 AD. And Leo I did in 458 AD. In addition, many local councils issued edicts imposing celibacy on the clergy, including the Carthage in Africa, the uh, Orange Council, the Council of Tours in France, and Turin in Italy did as well. Now, by the time of Pope Leo I, who died in 461, no bishop, priest, deacon, or subdeacon was allowed to be married. Fast forward about 500, 600 years. In 1075, Pope Gregory VII forbade married priests from saying Mass or performing other ecclesiastical functions and forbade the laity from hearing these Masses or participating in other liturgical functions offered by such priests. Finally, in the First Lateran Council of 1123, uh, they mandated celibacy for the Western clergy. This would have been after the Great Schism between the Eastern and Western Church. The Second Lateran Council in 1139 decreed holy orders as an impediment to marriage, making any attempt at marriage by an ordained cleric invalid. This continued on until 1563. Following the period of the Reformation, the Council of Trent stipulated that although celibacy was not a divine law, the Church had the authority to impose celibacy as a discipline. The Catholic Church has continued to affirm the discipline of clerical celibacy uh, through the Second Vatican Council of 1965. Um, Pope Paul VI uh, did so in 1967 and the Code of the Canon Law in 1983. The Catholic Church currently states that they forbid no one to marry, so they don't make, they say they do not forbid it. They say no one is required to take a a vow of celibacy. Those who do so, do so voluntarily. They renounce marriage and no one forbids it to them. So then they continue with this phrase uh, on the website catholic.com. The church simply elects candidates for the priesthood from among those who voluntarily renounce marriage. That's kind of the history of the celibacy within the the church. Of course, in the Reformation, uh, Martin Luther got married to Catherine von Bora. So we definitely see a... a, uh, uh, change from standard Catholic practice in the Reformation, and Lutheran pastors continue to be married to this day. So where do, where do we find the right to do so? Is that okay? Should we not uh, uh, be allowing our clergy to be married? Well, let's consider some of the scripture passages used by, on this topic by both sides and see what they have to say. Jesus in Matthew 19 and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 both approve of voluntary celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of God. But at the same time, both clearly point out that not everyone is able to make such a commitment. On the one hand, Paul expresses approval of those who wish to refrain from getting married for the sake of the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, he points out that marriage is God's ordinance and that those who are already married do not belong to themselves, but to their spouses. 
Now, this passage in 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy do not imply that a married person in the ministry is not able to be concerned with the things that are the Lord's. The advice of 1 Corinthians 7 applies to the whole church and does not exclude the clergy. It is not faithful to the word of God to interpret some verses in that chapter as applying only to the clergy and other verses in the same chapter as referring only to the laity. Now, the Apostle Paul was single. He was celibate, as he says in 1 Corinthians 7. But this was by choice. It wasn't a compulsion. No one was forcing him to. And we know that other apostles were married, including the Apostle Peter, uh, whose mother-in-law Jesus healed. Paul also includes marriage among one of those good qualities of the bishop that he lists in 1 Timothy and also in Titus. It says these, past, it says that it, these, these men who should, would consider the ministry should be a man of one woman, a one-woman man. Um, so these passages do not mean that a bishop must be married, but indicate that marriage is a good preparation for caring for Christ's flock. Similarly, the fact that marriage is mentioned in these lists indicates that it is acceptable for a bishop to be married. Now, Paul does demand chastity in the ministry, and this is where it's important to differentiate between the words chastity and celibacy. You see, the word chastity means to be holy, to be pure and set apart. And chastity is done in two ways, namely in celibacy, that is refraining from sex and also from only participating within with, in sex within the bounds of marriage, as uh, those who have been united in marriage should do according to God's good and gracious will. So chastity and celibacy does not make one more holy than those who do not observe celibacy. Uh, Paul insists that to prohibit marriage, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, those who prohibit marriage on account of hypocrisy or external show of holiness is a doctrine of demons. And then even in the Old Testament, while uh, forbidding various defilements under Levitical law, priests did, were not forbidden marriage. And the first high priest, Aaron, the brother of Moses, was married and he had children. Now, one prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, was forbidden by God from taking a wife. But we know that other prophets, such as the prophet Isaiah, was married. And others were even commanded to marry, such as the prophet Hosea. So all this... Uh, all this to say that marriage is a wonderful blessing given by God and it's a blessing granted to all people, not just to uh, those who are not considering the clergy. We must also take note of the fact that there is no general prohibition from God forbidding his called servants to marry. In addition, both Christ and Paul state that the gift of celibacy is not given to all people. The imposition of such a rule by the church has been the cause of much immorality throughout history. A vow of celibacy is not required by God for service to him as a spiritual leader. It should not be mandated or forced upon a servant of God by human beings or by religious institutions. So uh, all this was a, a study that was done uh, for, in, for our high school uh, symbolics class that we've been doing on Article 23 from the Book of Concord. Uh, if you'd like more information or have questions on this, please feel free to reach out uh, as, as it is convenient for you. Uh, today, for our hymn of the day, I'd like to kind of conclude with this wonderful considering the blessings of marriage and what it can be for us as we take a look at uh, hymn 620 in the Lutheran hymnal, which is entitled, Lord at Cana's Wedding Feast. There's three verses to this hymn. We'll read them all. It says, Lord, who at Cana's wedding feast didst as a guest appear, thou dearer far than earthly guest, vouchsafe thy presence here. For holy thou indeed dost prove the marriage vow to be, proclaiming it a type of love between the church and thee. This holy vow that man can fee that man can make the golden thread in life, the bond that none may dare to break that bindeth man and wife, 
which blessed by thee, whate'er betides, no evil shall destroy, though careworn days each care divides and doubles every joy. On those who now before thee kneel, O Lord, thy blessing pour, that each may wake the other's zeal to love thee more and more, though grant them here in peace to live in purity and love, and this world leaving to receive a crown of life above. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Twin Steeples podcast. Once again, Twin Steeples is a production of Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mankato, Minnesota. For more information, we invite you to check out our website at emmanuelmankato.org. Until next time, may God bless and keep you, and may you always remember, Emmanuel, God is with you.